I'm encouraged after last week's uh, introduction into this week's sermon. The ladies came back. Uh, lady, they came back. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. And now whether you come back after today, that's a whole other... No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So um, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your, in your Bibles, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy. We're in a study of 1 Timothy and we're calling house rules. And it's important, especially as we come to a section uh, as we do today in verses 11 through 15, that we remember the, the context, remember the whole point of the letter, the reason which Paul is writing. He says in chapter 3, verse 15, But in case I am delayed, I write to you, so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. What Paul is writing is how a church is to behave, how a church is to operate, how they are to function. This, this is all about, this, is, this letter is especially written to, to when we gather as believers. How are we to operate? And, and you and I understand this full well. In any organism, in any organization, there has to be structure. There has to be, there has to be an, an order to it. There, there has to be leaders. There has to be followers. In any organization, in, in everything, in order for it to function, it has to be that way. And, and here in this passage... That's what Paul is getting at. He's giving wisdom. He's, he's helping them operate in such a way that, that God would be glorified. Uh, last week we looked at, um, at dress and, and specifically the dress that the ladies were uh, adorning themselves with in that day. And, and we made the point that the primary focus should be on godliness. It should be on internals, not externals. On, on character versus clothes, on the inward versus the outward, that, that true beauty. And we said that we challenged us, as even as men, to, to, to appraise and to look at these things, but as ladies, to be sacrificially beautiful, not artificially beautiful. It's godliness. And again, our immediate context, again, it's the gathering of believers. And there were ladies who were um, dressing in such a ways that, uh, that were distracting. They were prideful. It was dividing the body. We talked about how doing that, really, we gather to bring attention to God. And ladies, if you come here and, and your, your goal is to attract attention to yourself, you're competing with God. You're competing with God for our attention. And it can become distracting. And we, t you know, verse 10, but rather do not adorn externally, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women, women making a claim to godliness. And then he goes on in verse 11 through 15. He says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Right, right there, listen to me, right there when I say the word submissive, you lose most people in our culture. You lose them. We don't want to hear anything about that. And, and it's partially because we've done a bad job with it. 
We, we've not handled it well. It's been abused. The reality is this. Submission is not a bad word. Every single person in here, boy and girl, is submissive. We serve one another, men. Not only that, but you men, you're submissive to Christ. Wives, you're submissive to men. That's just, that's, and again, listen. The Bible, I was talking to a student even yesterday, and, and in her class, a professor blamed the Bible for, for men thinking poorly of women and for holding down women. Listen to me, that is false. Absolutely false. You, you, if you knew anything about the Bible, if that man who made that statement knew anything about the Bible, he'd realize that Jesus never did anything but elevate women. The, the, mere, fact, the mere fact that Paul is inviting a woman into the congregation to receive instruction was a huge deal. They, the Jewish culture, the Gentile culture, would have not even allowed them to come in and listen to receive instruction. The, the whole idea of, of submissive being a, a doormat and, and all these crazy ideas that come with that, they're unbiblical. That's not the biblical idea of submission. Jesus Christ himself, though equal with the Father, submitted himself to the Father. Equal. It's not a worth issue, it's not a value issue. In, in the culture in which Paul writes this, Women were, were merely a possession. And Jesus always elevated that, the role of a woman. That's all throughout the Bible. The, the reality is, is all of us, again, as I said, are submissive. If you were to, if you were to go, don't go there, but Ephesians 5.21, the thesis statement, he says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The problem is, is people stop there. And they say, they say okay, we're all submissive to one another. That's called chaos. We are submissive to one another in a sense, but he goes on in verses 22 through 6-5 to give specific examples of what that looks like. Husbands submitting to Christ, wives submitting to husband, children submitting to their parents, employees and submitting to employers. That's the way the world works. In your home, parents, are you, are you, you don't listen to your kids in the sense of they don't tell you what to do. You're not submissive to your kids. That's just why, because that's the way a home operates. You, mom, dad, you're the leaders. You do it in a loving way. You do it in a way that leads them to Christ. But again, submission is not a bad thing. Husbands, you follow Christ. As you follow Christ, God is calling your wife to follow you. Guess who she's ultimately following if you're doing your job well? Christ. She follows you, you're going to lead her to Christ. That's exactly what Paul says in, a, in a 1 Corinthians 11, 20, 11, 1. Be imitators of me as I imitate who? Christ. Christ. So submission, this whole idea that, that submission is a bad thing, it is a good thing. And the reality is this, and that's why I entitled the, the sermon, Staying in Your God-Given Lane. God, for whatever reason said, man, you're going to be the leader. I'm going to create a suitable helper for you. That's just the way God designed it. He didn't consult me. He didn't consult you. It's a picture. And the way I lead as a husband and the way Karen follows as a wife is a picture. It's a parable of Christ and the church. 
It's a picture. My, the way I lead my home ought to be a picture of the way that Christ leads his church. The way that I follow Christ ought to be a picture of the way that the church is following their, their husband, if you will, Christ. This is about how God commanded his church to operate. Whether we, again, whether we like it or not, this, he gets to call the shots. God designed it this way. And, and again, as we said last week, everything is about Christ. It's about God's glory and Christ's glory. The, the battle for us will always be, if you go back and you can trace this, and we will in just a minute, to Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The battle, the battle is this, your wisdom or God's wisdom? My wisdom or God's wisdom? My ways or God's ways? And the fight for leadership, the, the battle that we face in our culture, the battle that we face in our home, the battle we, as we as men face in leading, the battle you as women face in submitting is due to sin. It's due to the curse in the sense of when they sin, God said this, in pain, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbirth. And he says, women, your desire is going to be for your husband. And, and that's, not a, that's not a sexual desire. He says, but you husbands, you're going to rule your, you're going to rule your, you're going to rule your wives. Here, here's the problem. Here's the battle. Wives want to lead and husbands want to be poor leaders. That's, that's due to sin. That's one of the effects of sin. That's the curse. And that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the results that God in his wisdom is, is calling us to reverse in how we even act here in church, but specifically the home. Essentially reversing the curse. Showing that in Christ, there's hope. This isn't about e equality. This isn't about better or worse. This is about a sovereign, good, loving Father who, and how He chose to set up His church to operate. And, and, and also the home. And so you'll see on your handout, just to, to make sure we're operating on the same, same wavelengths here, the main point, everything we see in the Bible ultimately points back to God, His glory, and His created order and design. This is about His glory. We, we said it last week, you and I are not central nor the main characters in this story. And when we read the Bible, we love to think, the first thing we think about is, what does this mean about me? And that's not the best question to ask. What does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about in my, my relationship to God? What does this teach me in how to glorify God? It's ultimately about God. And this is ultimately about His glory and the church submitting to Him and being a picture, being lights to the world, being, again, different. If you knew the culture well that Paul wrote this, it, it speaks to it as, as well that, that he's calling on them not only through their dress, but they're through their submissiveness to be different, to be different from the culture. And in that, you're being salt and light. If, if you, if we don't have time, but if you, if you looked at the culture, it screamed the total opposite of what Paul is teaching here. And he's simply saying, be different, but be different for a reason. Be different for my glory, but be different because I've commanded it. And, and listen, 
whether it's adhering your clothing to the word, whether it's hearing your de- adhering your definitions of modesty, or in, in today's case, adhering your role to God's design. Listen, it's ultimately about God's glory. It's ultimately about His kingdom. He's the king. He gets to call the shots in His kingdom. And ultimately, it's about us submitting willingly to a loving king, to a king who loves, submitting to that will, to His glory. To his glory. Keep that in mind. Otherwise, again, I, I don't want to lose you in this, and I don't I, I just we we've got to make sure we've got that down on the front end. I don't want you to hear more than I'm saying. I want you to hear what the word of God is saying. I don't want me to get in the way with that, and I don't want you to hear more than that. So you'll see on your handout, we'll jump in. We've got, we've got to jump in at some point, Chris. Let's go. Here, ready or not, here we come. You'll see first thing on your handout, women to are affirm, women are to affirm male leadership in the church and its gatherings because this best reflects God's design. Affirm male leadership. A woman, verse 11, must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. Tough verses. Verses, if we're not careful can be easily abused. We can come with a, a, a male-dominant agenda. We can come with our own agenda, and we can use, and many people have, and abuse those verses. But again, the context, listen, the context is the gathering of believers. The application can extend beyond that, but the specific context, again, when you're studying the Bible, just a, a principle, the interpretation is one, the application is many. When God wrote this, he, through Paul, he meant something specific. It's not up for you. It's not up for debate. The interpretation is one. The application can be many, but the interpretation is one. And, and this is in regards, again, to the gatherings of believers, what we're doing right here. And remember, in that day, it would have been done in homes. And, and what he calls for is for women to be submissive to male leadership in the church. That, that's what he's calling for here. He's not saying that women don't have roles. He's not saying that women are not valuable. He's not saying that women can't teach at all. He's not saying that women can't speak at all. He's not saying any of that. What he's saying is having an attitude that is submissive to the male leadership of a church. That's all he's saying. We're going to get into chapter 3, Lord willing, next week if anybody comes back, and we'll talk about elders and deacons. Again, male leadership of the church. There, there are ladies in here who are tremendously gifted. You ought to use those giftings every way that God allows and commands, but with a spirit that is submissive to male leadership. That's all it's saying. He's not saying never speak. He's not saying any of that. The fact, that, the fact that women were even encouraged, as I said, to come to these gatherings was a huge deal in a Jewish background and a Greek background that totally diminished the role of women. That we, and they're the ones that were saying that women were inferior, and Jesus elevated the role of women, the value. And, and that, that mentality, no doubt, in that culture had filtered into the church. And Paul is saying, no, 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 you let women learn. 
The verb learn here is literally where we get our word discipleship from, disciples. He's literally saying, no, no, you let women be disciples. You let them be learners. You, you let them grow in the grace of the Lord. That would have been a total contrast to culture. And, and again, Paul says, let them learn. That is an affirmative statement, affirming equality from a spiritual privilege standpoint. Men, women alike, we come here to grow, to learn. There's equality there. There's equality of spiritual rights, equality of blessings, equality with regards to the promises for men and women. There's no question. But, but listen, it doesn't mean that the role is the same. The reality is, is that you and I, from a spiritual standpoint, from a brother, sister in Christ standpoint, we're on equal footing. But for whatever reason, God has called me to be the pastor of this church. In that role, we're not equal. But the reality is this, and what we forget is Ephesians, I mean, uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says, you know what? I'm going to give an account for how I shepherd this church. You're not. That's what goes with leadership, responsibility. In the garden, guess what? When, when, when they sinned, who did God come calling for? He said, Adam, where are you? There's responsibility. We're equal. Karen and I are equal. Karen is so much better at me than me than so many things, and yet, for whatever reason, God has called the man to be the leader of the home. It's not an equality issue. It's a, it's a structure. It's a function. It's to get things done. Somebody's got to lead. And, and you and I, again, we have the same responsibility to obey the word, same responsibility to pray, same responsibility to teach, same responsibility to witness to those around us, the same promise of blessings and all that. We have the same hope of eternal life, spiritual, all of that. But for the sake of the function of this church, I'm the pastor. The third Tuesday of every month, us elders, there's seven of us, we get together. Guess what? Those, there's, men in, there's men there that have been le- living, following the Lord longer than I, but guess what? I'm the leader. Just for function. It's for function. We're not, we're not, we're not spiritually unequal. And the world will try to convince you and the world will come to statements like this and try to paint Christianity and try to paint our God with this blanket statement that women are to be totally quiet in the church and the Bible just beats down women. Women have tons to offer and they should. And why do they have tons to offer? Because God designed them that way. I, Adam, I will make for you a what? A suitable helper. Guess what, guys? You and I need help. And God, in His infinite wisdom, you know what He did? He designed a woman to be a suitable helper. And that's good. That's real good. All throughout Scripture, you see pictures of women praying, teaching, encouraging, doing all kinds of things, but it was always under the authority of male leadership. It wasn't revolting. It wasn't trying to buck that. It was submissive to the male leadership. And you'll see on your handout, God designed his created order is for God's design. His created order is for males to take the leadership role in the gatherings of his people, the church. Males are to take the leadership. That's why in our classes, my preference, it doesn't always work out this way, but I want a husband and wife, a male and a female teaching. So that the... 
our, our young boys and women grow up seeing male leadership because that, it's not an arrogant thing. It's a God-designed thing. It's not equality or worth or value. This is about submission to God's created design. It's about representing Him and His wisdom, not my own wisdom. The, the word teach, interestingly enough, it's used over a hundred times in Scripture, and only three occurrences does it refer to individuals versus groups. It was a group setting, and in the group setting, in the group setting, men are to take the leadership. Women can teach absolutely under the leadership of a male. Submissive, with a spirit that's submissive. You see a picture of that every Tuesday here. You see a picture of that of the, at the well at First Baptist Lutz. Great women of God there. Women growing, spiritually mature, discipling other women on Tuesdays here at the well all over. But again, it's under the leadership, ultimately the umbrella of the leadership of the church who are males. Again, it's simply saying men are to take the lead. And what he's saying here is, and you see it on your handout, women are not to hold authority over men in an ongoing leadership position. Specifically, again, specifically the role here he's looking at is the role of elder or pastor or teacher. And, and like it or not, in submission to this verse, there's not going to be a woman up here preaching to you on Sunday mornings. If you don't like that, Take that up with the word. That's, what's, that's what this verse is saying. I realize that some churches are doing that, but listen to me, they're, they're doing that because they're caving to culture, not submitting to the word. They want to be liked in culture. And, and we're, not about, we're not about results. We're, we're a process-oriented people. We're a, we, we, our job is to submit ourselves to God and allow Him to deal with it. 1 Corinthians 3, some plant, some water, but listen, God causes the growth. 1 Corinthians 4, it is required of a, of, a, of, a person, of a pastor to be found trustworthy. My job is simply to be faithful to the Word. The whole context here, again, leading immediately into chapter 3, is dealing with deacons and elders. Uh, he's saying, do not usurp. Do what you do, but do it in a way that doesn't usurp male authority. He's not, what he's saying here is, is, is that, in, in, in the sense when he says the silence of a, he says a woman must receive, quietly receive instruction with entire submith, submissiveness. He's just simply saying, again, don't usurp the authority of the male leadership in the life of the church. He's not saying you can't ever teach. He's simply saying you do what you do under the authority, under the umbrella of the male leadership of the church. And what he's saying is, you see on your handout, God is commanding here a spirit that not only knows but embraces your God-given role and does it to the glory of God. It's about embracing your God-given role. Men, embracing your role as leaders and being the leader. Women, embracing your role and doing it to the glory of God. And again, it's more than just, just like the clothing, again, the context. 
it's more than just an outward appearancing thing. It's an inner commitment that glories in your lane and where God has placed you and you do what you do to the glory of God, gladly submitting to the leadership of the church. He, he doesn't mean that a woman can't sing a song. He doesn't mean that at the appropriate place women can't pray. He doesn't mean that she can't offer praise. It doesn't mean that she can't participate in worship. It doesn't mean that she can't ask a question. It doesn't mean any of that. It's simply saying, and you see on your handout, women are not to be the leader teacher over men in a spirit that she's rebelling against God's created order. It doesn't mean that women can't teach the Word of God to children, to other women. It doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean that they can't speak out for God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that they can't contribute in a Sunday school class. It doesn't mean they, they can't contribute in a Bible study. It doesn't mean that they can't contribute in a home phone. None of that is what is being said here. It's a spirit that's calling for you to willingly submit to the male leadership of the church. In the gathering and the worship service of the church, there is to be a clear line of distinction between the role of men and the role of women. And that's God's established pattern. Men are to be the leaders. We're to lead out in these areas. In Scripture itself, numerous examples of women playing prominent roles in the life of the church and, and in specific individuals. If you were to go to Acts 18 Verse 26, you can, you can write that down. I'll read it for the sake of time. It says, it's talking about Priscilla and Aquila. And they began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Again, under the leadership of the church. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore make disciples. That's male and female. Both commanded to do that. Colossians 3, 16, but let the word of God richly dwell within you, teaching and speaking and spiritual hymns, psalms, and all these things. That's, again, men and women. 1 Corinthians, you go there. Men and women doing a lot of things. And so silence here is in relation to teaching. And it's specifically in relation to being an elder or a, a pastor teacher where you're overseeing, having shepherding of the entire flock. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, do, you're not going to be an elder or a deacon in that sense. An elder, and a teaching. To where, to where you're standing up and, and you're leading the entire church. That's the context of what he's saying here. She's not to be a rebel. She's to embrace that with gladness. And again, due to the curse that we'll see in a minute, that's the battle we all face. Men leading well and women staying in their lane, if you will, and submitting to their husbands. And, and ladies, you, you've been gifted by God richly. Tremendous gifts. Use them to the glory of God. Various ways. But all he's saying is do it with a spirit that's submissive to male leadership. Do it in such a way that promotes and glorifies God and His wisdom and His ways and His glory. Our, our nature, if we're honest, our nature is this. We will forget, we have a tendency to forget maybe the one or two things that we're not permitted to do to the neglect of the thousands of things that we are able to do. That, that's part of our sin nature. You, you, you give your kids 40 things that they can do, and you tell them one thing that they can't do, where's their focus? It's on the one thing that you can't do. 
And, and that's no different here. That's part of our sin nature. We, we love to rebel. We, we love to, to live according to our own wisdom. And God is saying, look, for the standpoint of operation, from the standpoint of functionality, from the standpoint of orderly, from the standpoint of being different than the culture, He's not saying sit down, like I kidded last week, He's not saying sit down and shut up because you have nothing to offer or you have no value or worth. He's simply saying offer everything you have to offer under the umbrella of male leadership. Submissive to the male leadership of the church. To God's glory based upon God's created order. And simply, I believe what he's saying here, and again, based on context and all of that, is that women cannot exercise the office of teacher and ruler in the church. We're not having women, women pastors. That's all he's saying. And whatever you do, do it with a spirit that is submissive to that male leadership. So not only, not only verses 11 and 12 talking about affirming male leadership, but the operation of a, of a church, the operation inside the church, verses 13 through 15. And this is, these are probably some of the most uh, hotly debated, um, challenging passage, especially 15. He says, For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And again, I'll, I'll say on the front end, there are a lot of people who are quick to take this passage and discard it and say, that was just a cultural thing. Oh, that was just culture. He said all of that just because culture. Here's my challenge about that. Paul didn't couch this verse in culture. Paul couched this verse in creation. Paul didn't say, hey, let me tell you what's going on. Now, certainly the current situations of that culture had, had some influence on what he said and, and how God communicated this. But here's the deal. Paul couched what he said in creation. He took you all the way back, the readers, all the way back to Genesis 1 through 3. This is not some cultural thing that you can just discard because our culture doesn't want to hear it. You know what? If the church wants to be relevant, if the church wants to do this, if the church wants to do that, you better do this. Listen to me. This is not my church. This is God's church. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail about it. It's not my job to build a church. It's my job to be faithful. It's your job to be faithful. And it's our job, again, even as males and females, to submit to what God has commanded. And so he, he couches this in creation. He says, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Adam knew clearly from Genesis 2.15, he knew the rules. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He knew better. But women, verse 15, and this is one of the most challenging verses. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. What in the world is he saying? And why did I pick to preach through 1 Timothy? Listen, and, and, and I want to say a word of caution. 
on the front end as I jump into this. There is absolutely nothing wrong with a woman working outside the home. That's not what this is saying. Again, culture, some pastors, whatever, I don't see that in the Bible. I do see what I'm about to tell you in the Bible. But I don't see it where you're absolutely in sin if you don't hear that. I, 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 what he's talking about is priority here. And I, I was grateful to grow up with a, a, a mom and a dad who loved me and, and both my parents worked. But, but here's the thing. They never worked in a way that compromised the home. The home was always a priority. And I don't, ever, I don't ever recalling my parents not making the home the priority. It wasn't about going and getting a bunch of things in the world. It wasn't about making a name in the world. It wasn't about going out and trying to gather all you can gather of the world's goods. No, no, no. It was always about providing at home. That, that's not what this says. Don't walk out of here thinking, well, I work out of the home. You know what? There's some situations where people need to work out of home to make ends meet. Isn't, again, nothing wrong with that. What he is saying is this. Don't neglect the home for the pursuit of things outside the home. That's what he's saying. Don't neglect the home. And, and ladies, I'm, I'm just... I'm, what, what, what the scriptures are saying here... It, may not sit well with some of us, it is not going to sit well with culture. It won't. But you'll see the point. Uh, number two, a woman's ministry priority, notice priority, is to be in the home. And the order in a home is to be reflected in the church according to God's design. This is about in priority. You look at Proverbs 31, Again, oh, she's held up as the ideal woman. She purchased, she considered a field and bought it. She did a lot of stuff outside the home, but what did she do that for? To the glory of the home. Not to make a name for herself, not to gather all the world's goods, just to, no, no, she did it to the glory of the home. There's, again, nothing wrong with working outside the home with, as long as the home is your priority. And again, we said it last week. We have to ask ourselves the tough questions, Why? I can't answer that for you. Why? Why are you doing what you're doing? That's the only question I'll say. Why? The home, you, you can work outside the home and the home still be a priority. Hear me. But the home is the priority. And if you look at this, again, Paul takes this back to Old Testament. This is rooted not only in God's created order, but it's rooted in... In, in his, it's rooted in the fall and God's judgment due to the fall. And, and, he, and again, this takes this, as I said, so far beyond a cultural thing. And, and you'll see on your handout, what we see here for the church and the home is reflected in our gatherings. The home and the church are to, are to, to reflect in each other in male leadership. And, and the, the, just like when we gather here today corporately, we gather for Christ's glory, not our own. And in the home, again, we do what we do there for Christ's glory, not our own. And he, he says in verse 13, for, Adam, for it was Adam who was created first, 
and then Eve. That is significant. Order is significant. If you were to look at 1 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and following, he says, and starting verse 7, For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image of the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Again, tough verses. Tough verses to swallow unless you understand the character of God and you trust that He's good. Tough verses in the culture we live in. And in creation, God chose to create Adam first. And then He created a suitable helper for Adam. She was made to be His helper. She was to follow His lead. She was to live under His provision. She was to find safety and strength under His leadership. And it's very, it seems very clear what happened is Adam did not do that well, and thus Eve was deceived and ate the fruit. Okay, and it's interesting, it says, and she gave some to her husband who was with her. It wasn't like this happened while he was out working. He came like, whoa, what just happened? Genesis 2.15, God said, Adam, here's the rules of the garden. Do whatever you want, but don't eat from this tree. It's pretty clear that God's, God's desire was for Adam to tell that, explain that to his wife, and lead in that way. And he failed. He failed to lead. And, and it goes, this goes so much deeper again than just culture. If you were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, after all this has taken place, listen to what happens. God puts a curse on the, on the serpent, on Satan. But then in verse 16, he says, To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns... Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat the bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. Here's what he's saying. Because of, because of sin, because of the curse of sin, this whole thing is going to be a battle. Women, you're, you're going to bring forth ch children in pain. Women, you're, you're going to want to rule over men. That's part of the curse. Men, you're going you're gonna to lead, and you're going to lead in a bad way. You're going to respond to that in a bad way. The ground, your work, the ground's going to fight against you. It's going to fight back. And all of this goes back to creation. Adam, you were created first. You were to lead your wife, and you failed to do that. And look what happened. And in a very real sense... The fall was, result, was the result not only of disobeying God's command, but it was also a failure to, for the husband to lead and for women to follow. It was a failure to follow God's designed order, the appointed role of the sexes. Woman acting independently of man. Eve assumed leadership. Adam clearly didn't step up. Failed to lead. And, and so, again... The subordination of women, if you will, the submission of women, again, that's rooted in creation. Paul didn't make this up. 
And that's the context. Again, if you go to verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to exercise or teach authority over a man. The word allow there is, it literally means to do something that you want or desire strongly to do. Again, go back to, go back to Genesis 3. Your desire will be to rule over your husbands. That is part of the fall. That is part of the sin nature. Not submitting to God's, not willingly submitting to God's created order. And, and again, that's the problem we face. Men not leading well. Women not staying in their lane as far as a suitable helper, if you will. It's part, again, it's part of the curse of sin. And you see on your handout, what we see in all of this is that when God's design is distorted, bad things happen. When we, again, in any business, if you breach the chain of command, if you breach the order, if you breach the structure of that corporation, bad things happen. In the military, there is a chain of command. It's not about worth or value. It's you're the leader. And, and when that does not follow... Bad things happen. And again, it was not Adam who was, he knew better. And so that brings to verse, it's, it's about submitting, it's about trusting a good God, a good Father. And, and you see in, in, in verse 15, and this is really one of, this is really the verse that is most hotly contested and, and wondering, he says, but women will be preserved. So the result is, again, this battle, and really the, the, the shame, in a sense, of having, having been deceived, falling into transgression, he's saying that there. That stigma, if you will. And we hear people joking about it even today, oh, the woman ate the fruit or whatever. The man didn't lead. But verse 15, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Again, as I said last week, notice what brackets this whole section. Verse 9, self-control. Verse 15, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and what? Self-control. It's about submission. It's about self-control. We're going to want to do things outside the boundaries, and he's saying, no, no, self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. I think what Paul is teaching us here in verse 15, and this is really good. This is, I believe if we would grasp this, it's a picture of really the goodness of God. And I think what he's saying here is, is this, is, is women. In, in nurturing a home, in making the home a priority, you can kind of in a way reverse the curse. You, you, there's redemption there. For all of history, for all of history, you're going to remember that Eve ate the fruit and gave some to her husband and thus sin entered the world. And yet God in His grace has offered an opportunity of redemption to, to reverse that. And, and, and I believe under what Paul is saying, the word preserved there can also mean delivered. And, and what, it, what this seems to tell us is that women are delivered. God in His created order is giving, the, giving a beautiful opportunity for women 
to be delivered from the stigma of having been deceived by giving them the gift and the joy of childbearing. And, and I believe that this is God's grace on display. In, in other words, this. Women, you, you kind of led into the fall, but by the wonderful grace of God, you're released from that stigma by childbearing. You, you, in a way, you stepped out of your God-given design, but, but I'm going to give you something that you'll stay in. And here's what I mean. We as a culture, we can, can fight and we can buck and we can do all we want, kick and scream, and we can blur the lines between the sexes all we want. We can say that male and female differences are societal, that they're learned, that there's not really differences. Society can say all of that. But here's the, what's the one thing that women can do that men cannot do? They can't have a baby. Only women can have babies. There, there's redemption there. There's value there. The world can demean, the world can relegate, the world can devalue all they want, but at the end of the day, if societies are going to go on, guess what God designed for only women to have babies? There's redemption there. Look, you, may have, you may have played a vital part in leading man into sin, in eating that fruit, but listen to me, I'm going to allow you to play a vital part in leading the redemption of that. And it's in the childbearing, and it's in the nourishing, and it's the raising of God-fearing children in the home. Little soldiers that are going to go out there, and they're going to fight Satan, and they're going to fight for the kingdom of God. And he's saying, that's the grace of God. He's not talking about soul salvation here. He's simply saying, you're, you're being delivered from any way that the world tries to relegate you or, or, and you try to even protecting from yourself, you're going to try to fight, but here's the, here's the thing. Only women have, have children. And that's the grace of God. He's giving the opportunity to raise a godly seed, to, to impart godliness and virtue. The, the reality is this, and we all know this, our children are going to have a special relationship with their mom. You can do all you want. Most of our children, if we look back on our own lives, our, our moms have humongous influence and sway over who we become as individuals. And I believe this passage is reminding us that God did that on purpose. And, and mom, when the home is made a priority you have a huge blessing to hand off. Not that husbands and wives don't hold partnership in raising and discipling, but the reality is this. My wife is around my kids a whole lot more than I am. She has a tremendous influence on our children. And I believe with, I believe with all my heart what God is saying here is this. The woman may have been deceived at the fall, but I'm going to, in my grace, I'm going to give you back an immense amount of dignity to raise up a godly seed that would go out and revert, help reverse the curse. To be saved from the stigma of the fall. I'm going to give you a path to truly being fulfilled in your role, and your great contribution is this. Make the home a priority. Whether you work inside or out is irregardless. 
make the home a priority. And, and you see it on your handout. It is in the nurture and the development and the teaching in the home where women will receive their greatest reward. And I, and I believe that is true. Again, this, that is a role that only women can perform as childbearing, no matter how far we get as a culture, no matter how, how far we digress. If you were to go to Titus chapter 2, Older women, likewise, to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may, listen, encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, instead of being subject, and being subject, excuse me, to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Even in the letter that we're studying now, Verse 14 of chapter 5, Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. I think God is offering women a humongous sphere of influence. And it begins in the home. With your children. And, and the reality is this. The... It's, it's obvious that God in His wisdom and sovereignty, not all women will be mothers. Some, some He won't even, won't even marry. You know, 1 Corinthians 7, He holds singleness up. But the general rule, again, the general rule is in, in just like marriage is generally, Peter calls it the grace of life, motherhood is an opportunity for women to find their truest, greatest reward and the pain of childbearing was the punishment of the sin and every time ladies have a child and there's pain associated with that there's a reminder of sin and yet as you raise these little ones and you push them toward god and you see them grow up in godliness and christ likeness there's redemption from sin there's the reality of knowing Romans 5.20, guess what, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And, and all he is saying, and you see it in your handout, that women by, by faith are going to have to accept their God-given roles. And their primary focus is not to lead in the church, but to raise a godly seed and the focus on their home. To focus on raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, and, and guys, it's... I'm not saying, again, that everyone, the women cannot work or anything like that. I'm simply saying, I believe the Scriptures say, make the home a priority. Don't neglect the home. You know, I, I, I'll brag on Karen for a moment. She stayed up all night with, a, with our daughter who seems to have the flu. And, and it was interesting that of all nights it would be last night because I, I wrote this down just to brag on her for a moment to encourage. Just When we got married, Karen had a very, very successful career. She had a very, very good job with the county and the Hillsborough County Schools. She was very good at it. It was very rewarding. She had roles throughout the county. She, she would never tell you that, but she was very respected, highly regarded among her peers. 
She was, I mean, she was as good as it got with regards to her job in this county. She made more money than I did. She provided more income than I did. She was way more successful than me. I mean, I don't mean this. She, she because of some circumstances, she started her career before I did. Let's just say that. She was down the road a little bit further than I was. We'll leave it at that. And she laid every single bit of that down for Bradley and Sarah Grace to honor God. I'm not saying, listen, I'm not, don't hear me say this. I'm just using an example. You don't have to do that. That was the path that Karen and I chose. There were, it was not easy. It was very hard. Less worldly praise. No paycheck. No accolades. No rewards. Oftentimes doing what she does. Again, nobody noticed. I did not know until I woke up this morning what went on last night. That's just the kind of wife she is. She slept on the couch with Sarah Grace all night. So I could rest. But here, here's all I'm saying. We had numerous conversations of how tough it was, how tough it was personally, how tough it was emotionally, how tough it was psychologically. She was very qualified. She was very trained. She felt very, very good at what she did and laid all that down to do something that she felt unqualified to do, which most moms, you bring that kid home and you're, we're like, what in the world have I done? She laid it all down. Because she, she wanted to make the home a priority. And again, that was the path we took. I'm not diminishing anything that anybody else chooses. I don't choose your path and you don't choose my path in that regard. But the win, the win is two kids who are, two kids who are growing in the Lord. The win is a home that loves the Lord. The, the win is God being glorified in our home. And, and listen to me. I can have all the seminary degrees I have. You know who sets the pace with that? My wife. My wife. She sets the pace with that. It's not always easy. Our home is what it is today because of Karen Basham. Because she makes the home a priority. And all I'm saying is we got to ask ourselves the hard questions, the why questions. Again, it's not about, again, our path. I cannot stress that enough. I share that and I'm not trying to say we're right in doing that. That was simply our path. And God has blessed us with the financial means and the ability to make the choices where we make it work. This church is extremely generous to me so that we can make it work. Some of us aren't in that situation. Again, I had a mom and a dad that both worked. But the home was always a priority. That's all I'm saying. No matter what it looks like in your life, is the home a priority? That's all I'm saying. And I want us to be a church that, that fights through the tendency to just set things aside. Are these tough lessons to hear? Absolutely. Are they countercultural? Absolutely. Are they counter to our flesh? Absolutely. But are they God-glorifying? Absolutely. 
And I want to, you'll see on your handout real quick. I want us to ask ourselves some tough questions as we walk out of here. As you evaluate your life, as the Holy Spirit takes these messages and, and sifts through your life, and I don't know all the ins and outs about your life, but the Holy Spirit does, I want to ask a couple questions here. And the first one is this. What is my attitude towards Scripture? Is it compliant? Does it have a desire to be compliant or is it defiant? Do you come to the Word wanting to submit or do you come kicking and screaming and fighting typically? Do you only submit to the parts of the Bible that you like or are you willing to submit to even the parts that are hard? Are, are you willing to whatever it costs to in, in align your life with the Word or, or are you fighting that? Secondly, what is my attitude towards the opposite sex? Are you competitive or are you cooperative? How, how have you embraced your lane? Men, are you leading? Specifically in this context, are you a men of prayer? Are you leading in such a way that it would encourage your wife to fall under your leadership, that she would gladly submit to you the way that Christ leads? Again, giving himself. If you go to Ephesians 5, you know what it says, guys? says, look at Christ and give yourself up for your wife just like he did for you. Give yourself up. You want to lead? Die. Die to self. You doing that, guys? You creating an environment of your home that, that, that makes it encouraging and easy for your wife to submit to you, that she sees that you're chasing after Christ as hard as you can and she'd gladly fall behind that guy? Or are you leading in such a way that she don't know where you're going and she's scared to death about where you're going. That's a big deal how we lead. Wives, have you embraced your role? Not, not worth. It's not worth. It's not equality. It's simply submission. Lastly, I'll ask this. What's your, what's your attitude towards the home? Is it a burden? Or is it a blessing? Burden or blessing? We live in a world that, that the attitude, you look it up, the attitude towards children is this. They're simply a roadblock to personal achievement. Children are a roadblock to your personal fulfillment and achievement. That's the attitude of the world towards kids. And you know what the Bible says? Children are a blessing. It says, blessed is he or she whose quiver is full of them. God in His grace is giving us the opportunity to shape the character and the lives and, and, and in godliness. And that's more rewarding than a career, male or female, both of us. All of this, all of this is countercultural. All of it runs contrary to our flesh. And again... This whole thing is bracketed by self-control. This whole thing is bracketed by a desire to see the Lord high and lifted up and glorified. And you'll see on your handout, again, I close with this. We must always go back to this. We exist for God's glory and His kingdom advancement, not our own. Ultimately, this is about submitting to our King that He would be honored and glorified, not ourselves.